Hello everyone, welcome to Can't Afford to Record, the YouTube channel where we figure out the art of audio production together. I'm Robbie Miller and this is of course the podcast edition of Can't Afford to Record, where I take the opportunity to speak with folks in the industry, pick their brains and learn as much as I can. Today, we're catching up with AC Slade. AC talks to us about his experience as a producer, his benchmark album sound to shoot for when he's in the studio, and the importance of pre-production. By the way, you'll hear me call pre-production, post-production in this conversation. What a rookie. Big thank you to AC for taking the time to come on the podcast. He has an awesome coffee company, by the way. Be sure to check it out. It's called Catfight Coffee. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode. Be sure to visit the video version of this conversation on the YouTube channel for more details about AC and can't afford to record. Well, everyone, here we are with AC Slade. How are you doing, AC? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming on Can't Afford to Record. I really appreciate it. This might be a little bit of a different podcast to what you may have done before because we're going to be focusing on audio and on recording on and on mixing in general and just what it's like to be in and out of a studio and and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but before we get into that I was thinking today we obviously occasionally speak back and forth online but we have crossed paths once before and it was when I was 13 years old and you, I don't know if you know this, but you were in a band called The Murder Dolls and uh, quite a big deal in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> and you came and did a guitar clinic in my hometown in Bedford, UK. And you, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to go to this guitar clinic. What t-shirt am I going to wear? Which is one of the most important things. And um, I was thinking there's going to be a lot of kids in Murder Dolls t-shirts. It's going to be a lot of kids in Slipknot t-shirts. And there's going to be a lot of kids in Marilyn Manson t-shirts. But I'm going to be the kid in an Alice Cooper t-shirt. So I got my dad's Alice Cooper t-shirt. And I went to the clinic and there was an opportunity. You were getting people to come up and jam with you. I got up. and But as I was coming up, you stopped and pointed at me and you said, I got sent home from school for wearing that exact (laughs) t-shirt. And it was a, it was with Alice, and half of his face is a skull, but still has the eye. The, do you remember the one? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and what's funny is I, I told Alice later, I said, uh, uh, actually, actually, I, when, when we were, uh, when I was in Dope and we were opening for Alice, um, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, mom. I was like, do you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, you remember you, uh, you were going to let me wear that Alice Cooper t-shirt? She goes, yeah. And I said, well, guess what? I'm opening for Alice Cooper, and I'm going to introduce you, and I'm going to tell him that story. And my mom goes, and my mom totally, like, flipped the script on me. She's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Then I'm going to tell Alice that he needs to start designing better T-shirts. And I'm like, all right, never mind, never mind. <laughs> Don't embarrass me, Mom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she, she trumped me on that one, man. Oh, man. Well, AC, you're no stranger to a recording studio. You've been in out of a bunch. Um, you also have taken on producer roles and uh and you know there's a there's a lot to do with the behind the scenes of the 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 music world um but my first question for you is do you remember when you couldn't afford to record oh yeah i mean um there was a there was a uh high school battle of the bands 
and you had to submit a demo tape. And so me and my friends, we didn't know what a demo tape was. And I remember we rented a four track from the local music store and somebody had lost the manual. We, we had no idea what to do <laughs> with this four track. Like uh, imagine you'd never seen a four track before and, uh, and it didn't have a manual. They're like, well, somebody lost it. And we're like, well, what, the, what are we supposed to, like, we didn't know what to do. Uh, so needless to say, that session was a wash. Um, <laughs> and then after that, it was always, um, you know, everybody, you know, everybody in the band kind of chiming in to, everybody chips in to, you know, pay for a couple hours here and then pay for a couple. I mean, to be fair, that must have really sucked for, for, local studios at the time because you know you're you're charging a rate and people can't afford it and knowing what i know now it's like so much about it is the vibe and the uh that feeling of not watching the clock you know what i mean and uh you know you have people coming in like all right so it'd be like one day like all right well we're gonna get drums to a couple songs and then that's all we can afford. So we'll have to come back and do drums for another couple songs and stuff like that. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, challenging, good times, but challenging, you know, do you remember, um, what it was that you may have recorded on that four track? Did you actually get something recorded on it or did the manual completely stop you? No. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so uh, in 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 that case, do you remember maybe the first song that you got recorded? Yeah, that would have been, uh, there was a studio in Delaware, like where I grew up in Pennsylvania, wasn't too far from, from Delaware. And I don't even know how, how, how we came across the place, to be honest with you. Um, but I don't remember, I don't remember a lot about it. Uh, mm. I just remember uh, the most interesting part was that they had whatever it was, the first digital interface you know at that studio and it was it wasn't even a color monitor it was like the green you know i don't know trs80 or whatever the fuck it was but i remember right. seeing that be like whoa man that's that's crazy so you'll be able to record on a computer soon <clears throat> and the, and and them saying like well the technology's not quite there yet <laughs> <laughs> now it's most definitely there oh yeah um so you did definitely come up on the punk scene. Um, I feel, and, and I really wanted to ask you some of these questions. I feel like for punk music, and I want to be careful how I word this, but yeah, for sure. punk music, we're not looking for necessarily that pristine finished sound. Mm. Um, do you think that was quite a liberating way to record music back then? Not really having to worry about super high class polished mixes you know just the fact of just throwing up the mics and and just hit and record and and there you go you've got a a a punk cassette tape i think i think a lot of it was that was necessity but it was also i i I mean like i said when we when we were recording early on the stuff i was doing was a little bit more rock based uh and so it was about getting a cleaner take so we weren't doing live in the studio. To be honest with you, I don't think anybody ever suggested that to us. And had right. someone suggested live in the studio to us, we might have taken them up on that. Uh, but you know, it, it's it's a it's a it's a strange thing, isn't it? Where it's like some of these old. 
I, I think it takes you a long time to develop the ears. And I guess the analogy that I'll use is I remember as a kid listening to some stuff like Motley Crue and Aerosmith at that time were probably doing like Pump and Permanent Vacation and stuff like that. And I remember them talking about how great these old Aerosmith records sounded. And I went back and listened and I was like, I don't get it. This doesn't sound as good. But a lot of that was mastering. Right. You know? And it, I think it takes you a long time to, to, for that charm to grow on you. You know what I mean? And, uh, and now I don't think that there's anything wrong with either or. Uh, my favorite sounding record of all time is the Distiller's Cor uh, Coral Fang. Okay, yes. That's, that's the benchmark to me. Um, really? What yeah. about what about that record is like, I want to get that sound? What is it, or what is it that does it for you? You know what? It, it, I feel like it's the perfect balance of honestly, uh, honesty, honestly recorded tracks recorded very, very, very well. Right. Know what I mean? So it wasn't until we did shows with them uh, last year where I was like, dude, that's my favorite record. Like, what? If it's if it's one of my records, if it's something that I'm doing, that's the record that I take into the engineer, and I'm like, this is what I want it to sound like. This is what I'm going for, and for mix or whatever, and just the the places where there's a mistake, you just picture in your head that they were just like going for it, and it was like, yeah, you, maybe there's a, a, a little mistake. Like nothing's out of tune, nothing's out of key. But you might hear like that that fret, you know, like when 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 you, when your finger when you're playing like a full E and your pinky slides off on the high E string, or yeah, you, you know, you hear all that and the feedback and especially Brody's voice um, on that record. So I I I think that there's a balance of like with the punk recordings, there's a lot of honesty in the takes. The focus is on the honesty; it's not on the perfection. And, right. Uh, but sometimes that uh, primitiveness can also get in the way of the listener really listening to the song. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. It, I, I, I mean, I know it's, it's a cliche to say, isn't it? It's just about finding the balance. We just got to find mm. the balance of both vibes. But going back to that, maybe the, uh, the sort of Aerosmith tracks you're listening to when you're like, well, actually, I'm not too sure this does sound good or like, is there something wrong with me or <laughs> something wrong with my ears? Can you think of a um, can you think of a song where you're like, this is an amazing song, but actually it's not really mixed or recorded very well, but it doesn't matter because it's an amazing song, which makes it. Well, you know, I mean, to be honest, with you, a great example is uh, I Want You to Want Me by Cheap Trick, the studio version. Yes. It's great, but man, it, it doesn't hold a candle to that live version. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. I wonder... And I guess it's recorded, it's recorded well, you know what I mean? But boy, it's, it's pretty obvious that they took the wind right out of the sails on it, you know? Yeah, the energy is not there. No. Not as much as the, obviously as the live version. How interesting. So, um when you are in the producer role of things, are you a producer in the traditional sense where you're going to be like you're going to um seek out the engineers, you're going to seek seek out someone to mix it, you're going to seek out someone to master it, or do you tend to wear all the hats? Are you 
recording uh, the artist and then taking the tracks home and mixing them as well. Where's where do your where does your role lay? It's a bit more in the traditional sense. Uh, okay, I, I'm not an engineer. Um, furthermore, I think that, um, and it depends on the person, obviously. But I think that for myself, uh, if I were to engineer, and not produce, it would be easy to get caught up in the technicalities of it, and then you lose sight of the emotion. Right. You know, and to me, that that's. Getting that honesty, that honest emotion in the take is the most Im- important part. And yeah, so I'm I'm definitely not an engineer. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, you kind of in that way got a bit of a. You can take a step back, can't you? You can't. You don't have to get too into the the nitty gritty of all the automation and whatnot. And so you're seeking out mix and mixing engineers that you know that are going to make really compliment the song and get the best sound sure. possible. And a lot of that, it depends on, on the budget and, and familiarity and, uh, and, uh, yeah, like th- those are the two main things, obviously. <laughs> so when you hear maybe songs that are done in more of a DIY fashion, maybe people have recorded in their basement at home. Is there anything that, w- is there anything that's usually lacking for you when you hear it? Is there anything that, usually isn't quite making it that might make it if it was in a studio environment? Well, I, I guess uh, if I understand your question right, like I, I think that, that that's something that, that I, I think is what I'm good at, is, is hear, hearing it be like, I get what you're going for, and here's, here's how you can get there. You know? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't been producing bands much lately uh, for a few reasons, but... One one of them is, you know, it, it is. How can I say this the right way? You know, obviously the 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 podcast is called I can't can't afford to record, but I think it depends on how good of an engineer you want to be as an artist. You know what I mean? And what I what I what I'm the point I'm going to get at is that right now the quality level that people expect your music to be is very high. Right. So that's the big difference. Like, so if someone were to put, uh, I don't know, like, like some of the, the, the early recordings, like let's just say a Misfits record, if somebody recorded something that sounded like that now, you wouldn't, people wouldn't give it a second listen. So the expectations are higher. Um, and that's one thing that... Uh, that, that I say to anybody that I'm going to work with, like, that, look, man, it's got to sound awesome. Like, so, you know, there, there are certain places where I don't think that you can really chintz. But, right. but that being said, I, I, I think that, and there's a lot of people that would prove me wrong. And uh, so, for example, with drums, I still feel like you need li- live drums in a really good room. Uh, there are a lot of albums that you're, that I've listened to, that you're listened to, that probably weren't real drums at all, that were probably superior drummer or whatever, you know. That's what I'm starting to hear and learn about a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of samples. And and that, for me, again, that's a place where I'm like, yeah, like, I I like my demos to sound like demos for myself. Do you know what I'm saying? And then when I go to the actual real recording stage, I like to go in a studio 
I'd, I'd, I'd like to make sure that I have the, I mean, specifically drums. Uh, I think, I, I, I guess because I'm a guitar player and a bass player, um, I feel more comfortable tracking guitars and bass at home. But drums, to me, I feel like need to be in a studio and also vocals for myself. Um, and that's because if I'm recording my own vocals, I, I like having uh, someone else there to hit record. And I know it's just a matter of hitting the space bar or whatever most times. But still, there's, there's something about you know, me being able to be in kind of a dark room with better mics and better preamps than I have and, uh, and, and, and having someone go, oh, that was a little pitchy, let's try it again. Yeah, you there's know, something about coming back and forth from your blanket fort that you've just made in your basement exactly. and trying to hit record with a headphone cable that's not quite long enough. It does. It kind of kills exactly. the vibe a little bit. <laughs> exactly. But you know, like I said, it's. But even with that, it's like it, you can find good places that will probably record your drums for uh, a very affordable rate. And if you have, I, I do, and it's weird because I'm a guitar player and a bass player. I do feel like the one place you, you can save some money and kind of chintz a little bit is with guitar tones and bass tones. And what, what I mean by that is that if you're, if, if you're writing songs for the masses, for the audiences, they don't really care about your guitar tone. Uh, I do feel like they feel the drums, and I do feel like they feel the vocals. So, do you, Are you a Pro Tools guy? Are you a Logic guy? Or? I, I know how to use Pro Tools, but at home mm -hmm. I just use GarageBand. Which Perfect. honestly makes me want to um, start to dip my toes into logic because I find myself, again, it's one of those things where uh, I, I was really great on Pro Tools. And when that, it's so funny how these things, it's, it's, it's so weird to talk about things like Pro Tools in such an antiquated way in that there was a time where there were antiquated ways of doing Pro Tools. Um, there's a time where Pro Tools was a very expensive program, and you had right. to get the cracked version and <laughs> the cracked plugins, and uh, GarageBand sucked. But now GarageBand's like pretty awesome, and and it and it works great for demos. Like yes, and so now I'm like, well, if I'm really getting used to GarageBand and really kind of figuring this out, and Logic's kind of the next step. Maybe I just go there and and stop using Pro Tools. I don't know. Like I know a lot of the issues that they used to have with Pro Tools versus Logic have really been kind of smoothed over. So, yeah, I mean, I use Logic, um, but GarageBand, as you say, has so. I mean, you wouldn't have got that as a free program twenty years ago. No. You know the the features and what it can do is is incredible. I I, I moved up to Logic, um, which I you know is seems to be more and more becoming. I don't know if it will ever quite be Pro Tools industry standard, but I think I remember seeing that. You know, the, a part of the Foo Fighters latest Foo Fighters record was done on Logic, and uh, I I believe that. Yeah, it seems to be becoming more and more of the norm. Well, um, I mean, and the likely thing is that, y you know, as younger engineers come up, these younger engineers are, are going through that, that same path of starting on GarageBand, moving into Logic, whereas, you know, the, the, the engineers that, that I grew up with, I mean, they really shunned Logic and GarageBand, and it was like Pro Tools only, Pro Tools only, but mm. th those people are going to be dinosaurs soon, so... 
Yeah. <laughs> Are you opposed to, because just getting back to trying to get a live drum sound and whatnot. Are you opposed to tuning vocals or would you rather just keep going at it until we got the take? Depends on the singer. Right. You know? And depends on the genre as well, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and so like with vocals, I mean, I think someone like Joe Strummer or even Mick Jagger, like you don't want to pitch correct those guys. Like Mick Jagger, like he, he just slides to the note so slowly that, I don't know, it probably sounds weird. Uh, although, I don't know, maybe they pitch correct his vocals now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. And then as far as, like, a, you know, um, drums, I mean, I that's a tough call. Because uh, I've been in, in situations where, I mean, let's put it this way. Once you decide on the drum track, you have to commit to it. So, I've done sessions before where where the engineer like later on has been like hey i noticed that fill was a little uh um off so i fixed it it's like well now i got to go back and fix the guitars and the bass right and now, and now uh, well no we can just slide those and now okay so now we're you're moving shit around and eh. yeah no it's uh it's all got to be kind of moved at the same time <laughs> or be yeah in the same. well I don't Take. think it should be moved, I guess, is the point. It's like, right. once the, uh, the, the drums, uh, I'm not opposed to moving the drums before you record everything else. Mm-hmm. But, but once, I think that's also a way of kind of limiting your time too. be like, all right, well, like, this is put to bed. Let's, you know. Yeah, otherwise you can spend days, weeks, months going back over the, the same thing or, or agonizing over the same thing. And perhaps it was just the in the moment, which actually leads me on to my next question. Can you think of any sort of happy accidents that have happened in the studio where something's happened, but actually it kind of made the song great? Oof. Nothing comes to mind because I'm a bit of... Uh... I feel like my goal as uh, when I produce someone is to make sure everybody is prepared as much in advance as they can be. Um, because, like, you know, Dave Grohl hasn't hit me up to produce a Foo Fighters record yet. Right, uh, right. Dave, call me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, He's a know. longtime listener of this podcast. He'll, he'll definitely hear this. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a, a lot of times it's working for, for bands, that, working with bands that don't really have a budget. And I feel like, number one, it's, it's my responsibility to save them money in the studio, uh, depending on how we work out. The, the finances of it, but to, to save that time in the studio, they got, they got to be prepared in the rehearsal room. Right. You know what I mean? So a, a big thing that I'm into is, you know, coming to rehearsals, hearing the demos, sitting down, figuring out the BPMs in advance, figuring out the key in advance. And then that way, when we walk in, it's really easy to set up the session and, you know, hit record and start firing away. And again, I feel like you get that gives you that if you make a mistake because you were just really feeling it and you were going for it, like let's say your drummer is just like sweats pouring off of him or her and they're just crushing it and 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 you go back and you listen, it's like, well, this part was a little bit off, but I know the guy knows how to play the fucking song. And right. It it feels right that he sped up in that last uh chorus on the outro. It it feels right. That's because he knew how to do it. Know what I'm saying? So, 
But if it's like if you walk in, it's like yeah, that guy. Like that's not how you played that normally, dude. Like you're you're playing it wrong. So um, preparation to me is is a big part of it. So that that way it saves time, it saves money. Everybody knows what they're doing. And if there are any of those beautiful little honest mistakes where there's a, a the drummer sped up at, at, on the outro. You, you can leave it because you can all put your head on the pillow going, no, like, we meant to do that. And that's how it was feeling at the time. So Right. So really, we're sort of saying post-production, which also, as, as you as a producer, I guess also allows you to create a relationship with the band if you might not know them very well as well, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to perhaps be in some of those earlier rehearsals, sure. getting to know the songs, and then bringing it into the studio where everyone's prepared and also where everyone's comfortable with each other as well and and whatnot. So post-production, you're sort of saying, is, is, is a really big part of of capturing that sound, capturing that song. Yes. Excellent. Um, last question for you then, or a last couple of questions. Um, who, is the, who is the dream person to produce? If you have to produce with an artist or produce an artist's song, who would it be? Uh, wow. Um, I guess because I love that Distillers album so much, I'd I'd love to uh, to produce them. But man, that benchmark is so high. I would just I I feel like I would be so disappointed with whatever it is that I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess you know I've really become a bigger fan of uh, Brett uh, Gruwitz. I, I always feel like I'm saying his name wrong, but from Bad Religion. He does oh. all the epi- Epitaph records, and he does all the, the Rancid records. And uh, it's weird. I, I guess I've always been sort of a fan of his, but, I mean, those Rancid records always sound great, uh, as do the Bad Religion records. And I think that, that, bad, that those records are a great example of, like, punk rock records, like those stacked vocal harmonies. Jesus. I mean, they, they, they rival Queen, you know? And it's still punk rock, you know? Yeah. So I'd love to, to, to you know, I've, wor- I've worked with some great producers and they all have different, uh, you know, different ways of working and I'd love to see how he works. You know, mm-hmm. and, and to be fair, it's, it's really interesting because they did the, the one record that, that he did that I wasn't crazy about, uh, they did at the Skywalker Ranch Studios, which is, which is where like like uh, uh, George Lucas owned a, an amazing recording studio and that was kind of the whole point of it like oh wow we're in this amazing recording studio that George Lucas owns and it, that record sounded a little flat to me I think it was right. maybe the place was too nice you know interesting wow um, when you produce your own albums and your own music is there a certain thing that holds you back uh, a little bit is there sort of a perfectionist approach to some of it or are you able to disconnect uh with your own songs um or ideally would you would you get a producer in would you would you like to pick a producer uh to come and do some stuff yeah like i i wouldn't mind having a a, a second producer but right now when when i when i work here um in new york i work with a guy named tom camuso um, Tom was Lenny Kravitz's uh, in-house guy for a long time. He's got some amazing stories about working with Lenny. Um, and so basically he did, I think, Lenny's first three albums, and he's just done a bunch of other stuff too. Grammy Award-winning uh, engineer and producer. Um, but 
I work with him and we have a relationship now where he can kind of g- give different opinions, you know. Generally, an, an engineer, your, your, your job is to not really have an opinion. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, but Tom and I, we, we have a great relationship and, and I really like working with him. Um, yeah, he's, he's awesome. What, what about that relationship uh, works? What about his, you know, the opinions and the comments back and forth is, gets the best out of you, do you think, when it comes to recording music? Well, I mean, you know, he, uh, we're about the same age. We have similar tastes in music. We can bust each other's balls. He could tell me, like, dude, that, that, that sounded like shit. Try it again. And, right. and I won't take it personally. You know? Right. Um, he loves Mexican food. It's a great restaurant near his house. Um, yeah, I he, think that that's it, isn't it? That's that's what makes it perfect is the fact there's Mexican restaurant right right near his house. Oh, and a great and a great coffee shop. Like I've got, yeah, I, I love re- re- recording at his spot. That that's that's my go to place. It's uh, nice. It's um, yeah. To, so first of all, Tom's a great engineer. Uh, it, it's that perfect balance of like there's a lot of restaurants and coffee shops nearby. But at the same time, there's not a bunch of distractions. Like when when we did the second dope record, we were like right in the heart of of Hollywood. And there are just so many distractions. At least for me, like <laughs> y- you never knew who was gonna like pop in, who was gonna you know, stick their stick their head in the door. Or maybe there's a party the night before or whatever. And so there were a lot of fun distractions, mm-hmm. you know. But distractions, nevertheless, at least for me. Right. Right. Um. And I just want to sort of finish up with uh, asking you how Catfight Coffee is going, and, oh. and and how all of that how all of that's coming together. Thank you. It's 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 going great. It's going really good. Um, yeah. Um, considering we've only been a company for a couple months, um, and I had another coffee company for about two years before that, but so it's it's not a new thing for me, but uh, but it is a new company, and it. It's going awesome, you know. We're, we're really, um, you know, it's it, it's a lot like anything. Like, like it's a lot like putting a record together in a weird way. Like, you know, I I, I look at our bags as album covers or album art, and mm-hmm. I hope that our bags are something that people would want to display on a wall, as opposed to just putting a cupboard and clothes, you know. Uh, and then furthermore, like, you know, the the care that we take to roast the coffee. Um, you know, is a lot like the recording process. You know, it can be right. very tedious. You know, it's funny. I when uh, uh, there, there is a, a really cool music analogy. There was a record that a band put out, and uh, it's one of the best, like, th- not pieces of advice, but nuggets that I ever uh, got about music. And it was so funny. This band put out a record, and it was a band that that me and my friends all loved, and they it wasn't that great. And then a friend and I were talking and I was like, yeah, I went back and revisited that, that, that 2007 record. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's still not that good. I was kind of hoping that I would revisit it and it would be cool. And he said, uh, he's like, oh, I knew that record was, wasn't going to be that great before I even, um, put it on. It's like, well, how'd you know that? He's like, well, look at the album cover. And the album cover is just like a skull and crossbones. And, uh, he's like, well, if they didn't put any thought into the album cover, what's to make me think that they put any thought or care into what's on the album? Mm. And I apply that to so many business things that I do. I apply that to my coffee. It's like, well, 
granted, there is this shishi aesthetic to some coffee things where it's very minimalist and very stark, uh, and that that's cool too. But that ain't us, you know. We're we're rock and roll people, and so it's like, well, if I just you know don't put any thought into the packaging, what's going to make people think that I didn't put any thought into the coffee? Just like the yeah. album, you know. That's a that's an amazing point. Yeah, you don't really. I guess that's such a an obvious thing now that you mention it, but yeah, yeah when you think about like the records on the wall, like what's going to make you buy that album? You yeah. know, when you were, I mean, sl- slightly before my time, but if you go into a record store and there's all the vinyl records and the and LPs on the wall, which one are you going to buy? You're going to buy yeah. or be gravitated to one that looks the best? Sure. Interesting. And you could tell right away, like, and it's true. It's like I remember as a kid, like flipping through the vinyl bins. You see a record, it's like, yeah, this album cover art, it, isn't that great? And it would be true. It's like, you know, so so the, the album cover art that my friend was talking about, it wasn't that it was bad. It's just there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. Right, know? right, right, right. Well, and, you know, I was thinking about this earlier as well. With Catfight Coffee, you're actually doing your bit for the recording industry because, of course, you're keeping recording engineers and producers up late at night that need to finish those mixes off, you know helping them get through the last mix. <laughs> sure, man. You know, that, 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 the, those late night sessions keep it going, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, AC, thanks so much for being on Can't Afford to Record. I really, really appreciate it. Um, best of luck with everything as well. I am, I am a, a, a purchaser of Catfight Coffee. I, I really, really love what you're doing there. It tastes great as well. Um, and yeah, I'm just super into it. And and just thanks for spending the time and talking about some recording experiences and, and just different sounds. I really appreciate it. Of course. All right. I'll speak to you soon, man. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks.